Let's find a seat. Once again, you've proven that you like each other. Or you're at least faking it really well. Amazing. It's good to see you. There's a, we're working on, uh, I sound a little bit hollow. We're going to try and work through that. We're just letting you know. Um, hey, I've been thinking a lot about a little bit of what that song was about as, as our journey. What does it look like to have a vision or some motives or a strategy in life that's not working? And, um, and, and undoubtedly, we've all found something out in our life uh, if that's not working. And so if you're, um, maybe you haven't found that place and uh, I would highly challenge that point of view to, to think that uh, some of your life doesn't stink or uh, isn't a part of the muck and mire. And uh, that's not always fun. That, that makes me an unpopular pastor. And, and to even take it a step further, that's called sin. There's, there's an area of our life that's so dark and so dysfunctional, it's actually called sin, and it actually moves through us. And it's really pretty gnarly. And it affects those around us. And most of all, it affects the relationship that we're having with God. Sin separates us from God because God is pure and holy and blameless. And in his presence, our sin is uh, disgusting. Now, God just didn't say, your sin, that is disgusting. Get away from me. It broke his heart. And so God sent his son to reconcile that relationship. And the scriptures say that his son's bloodshed at the cross of of Calvary reconciled us back. There's an opportunity if we have a belief and a faith through Christ Jesus that God would repair, that he would mend, that he would redeem, that he would restore and renew our souls that's fractured and hurt. So today, this is a piece of that sub-story as to how do we live in light of God's redemption and God's power? And so, once again, I want to say to you, we're not coming here because we're religious. We're not coming here because there's a particular day and time and, and uh, we have a seating chart. And I always sit here, I always do that. We're a part of a living uh, relationship with a living God. Last week I was telling you I was in India and, and the difference between me and the, the guy that I was talking to and the God that he served is his God doesn't talk to him. So I just want to lay something outlandish out there that God could actually speak to you specifically today. In fact, I would just say if, you, if you've ever been there, expect that. Allow your, your, yourself and your disposition, your soul just to, to chill And let God address you today through His Word. Okay? I want to talk a little bit today about if we try things on our own, and I have a vision. For years I had a vision for myself. All through my 20s, I owned companies. And my vision was to become a millionaire by the time I was 30. And I was scrubbing along and working hard, and that was my vision for myself. And 
my motive was that I was into myself. My motives was, I want to be a millionaire because I want that identity and I want to do and be empowered in the way of the world to puff myself up and to build my own little kingdom. I really like German cars, and so I wanted Beamers and Mercedes and Porsches, and I had employees in my company, and I liked having that authority, and I liked being creative, and I liked building my own vision. But my motives was selfishness. And then my strategy was that I would just continue to leverage money and resources and people. And the, and the truth was, I never would have admitted it. And you may have thought I was a swell guy back there about 12 years ago. And you go, oh yeah, that guy even goes to a church. That guy goes to a church. But the truth was, I was going to church listening to people like me yap, but I really wasn't getting it. The truth was, was somebody was telling me from the Word of God that God had a vision and that God had motives and that God had a strategy for life. And the truth was, is I was so set that, that Jesus was nice and I'd let him in every once in a while. We'd have conversations and hopefully they made me feel good. If they didn't make me feel good, I shut the door back on him and say, goodbye, Jesus. This isn't fun anymore. I don't like being your friend. But the truth was, was whenever Jesus came into my life, he would lovingly nudge me and say, I have a vision. And my vision for your life's bigger than the one that you keep trying to propel. And you know what? My motives are pure and clean and holy. And they're pleasing to God. What are, how are your motives? Well, my motives serve me and they make me feel good. That's not enough. And God said, and I have a strategy that's much bigger than the postage stamp strategy you have for your life that you keep presenting to me going, bless me, God. Bless me. Bless this postage stamp size strategy for my life. And God went, I got eternity. I've got a much bigger kingdom than the one you're trying to build for yourself. So right out the gate, I want to ask you, do you feel as though God's been calling you to something? Maybe it's a piece of community. Maybe it's a, it's a recognition in the relationship to the character of who God is. Maybe God has been trying to, to talk with you about the vision that you have for your life, and you're like, no, I'm this identity. I will not change. Are you willing to change your worldly identity the way that the world views you today? Because God wants to move you into what He has called you? In our flesh, we hold very tight to the way that we want to see things happen. And we're self-motivated, which the bad news is makes it impure. And so today, I want to do a basic thing, and I'm even uncomfortable with it. Most of the time, I preach from, we go verse by verse by verse by chapter by chapter, and we go through books here. Today, I just want to do a review. And today's a great day if you're examining Christianity, or if you want to re-examine what life following Jesus Christ as your Savior is about. Today, I want to talk about what is Jesus' vision? 
If we are following him, and some of us say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. If you're following Christ, what is the vision of Jesus? We have our mission here that fits within what I'm going to say today. Our mission at Red Sea is to draw to Christ, to develop in community, and then to deploy to culture. So we draw to Christ, we develop together, and then we go. And the drawing is the gathering, and then we scatter out. And as a church, we breathe. God inhales and brings us to Himself, His power, His grace. The Holy Spirit brings us. He draws us to Himself. And then we're developed together, and then we scatter out. And the church breathes every week. And that's our mission, is to live that way. But today we're going to examine Jesus' vision, Jesus' motivation. What was Jesus' motivation as he's walking the planet? What was, what, what was his motivation? And, and then what was his strategy? So we're going to go to a few different scriptures today. But I also wanted to bring this to you. As I was in India a couple weeks ago, and I was in London, and as I... I uh, talked a little bit about that last week, and um, I started to think about us, and two major things that I just want to bring an awareness to you. One is called orthodoxy, and what we preach here is from the orthodox Christian faith. Our doctrines, our beliefs, what Red Sea does as we gather and as we teach, we are coming under a historic faith of Christianity, and we preserve that. I'm going to use a, maybe a bad word to half the crowd. We're even conservative in the way that we view the Scriptures. We want to preserve and conserve and say, this is what God says. Tread lightly. This is what God is saying. That's called orthodoxy, the Word. Now, here's the hard part, is what God says, the orthodoxy, goes into what is called orthopraxy. It means this, what God says and then what we do. What God says and what our response is. It's called word and deed. And what God is saying throughout the Scriptures is there's no different. They go hand in hand and you cannot separate what God says about Jesus and who He is and what He says and does. Do you get that? So for us, it's important for us to know what God says about vision, motivations, and strategy so that we can do them. And you know that there's a huge discrepancy that the world looks at. Maybe when somebody says, oh, I think it doesn't say, I don't think that God said burn a Koran. But that's the practice that people are looking at and questioning so it matters in very practical ways. Are, is what we're doing, the way that we're living, matching up with what God says? Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, word and deed. Why is this important? Why is it important? That just has sounded like I'm in a theology class, right? It's like, Orthodoxy. What did he say? Orthopraxy. Word and deed. Why is it important? Here's why I think it's important. Today, as I speak, you may need to remind yourself a, a few times of this. 
everything that we're talking about, everything that's preached and taught and the way we are in missional home communities and when we go out and we do events like this coming Saturday, the Hub and Grub, where we're just doing a barbecue, needs to match up with the way God states life, vision, motives, and strategy and the way that we live that way. And here's why. If you're wondering why it's important for our deeds and our words to match, because you'll get to know God more. This is all about, do we become a church that can do, or are we in competition with the YMCA? Are we in competition with the public parks and rec? Are we in competition with the schools? We're not. And so it, when sometimes a church will just do activities and will look at somebody else's methodology and go, oh, that'd be really cool to serve teenagers, or that'd be really cool to do this kind of event, or it's really cool to get into art and music, or it's really cool to, to do this. What does God say, and how are we tethered between what God says and what we do? And here's what happens. When you start doing the things that God said to do, when God gives a command and we become obedient, then your life becomes abundant, abundantly filled with joy where God is completing things in your life. And when God says something and you don't want to do it and you're confronted by that, because obedience means that you're obeying even when you don't want to. Somebody is your Lord when they are your master, when they're lording over your life. When this is happening Often when we hear what God says and we respond, it changes our character. It changes our vision. It changes our motivations. And it changes our strategies for our very lives. And we start to sync up with His because we begin to hear His voice. But again, I want to remind you one more time before we start getting into these Scriptures that the things that God is saying to you is all in light of drawing you in so that you would know Him better, that you would care about the things He says so that you would love Him more. That's what's going on here. We come here because we love God. That's what's happening. And when we don't listen to God, we lose the opportunity to be loved by Him and to love Him more. Because sometimes His love is discipline. What is Jesus' vision? If you're taking notes, we're going to read a few Scriptures that say, What is Jesus' vision? How was Jesus the full package of a vision, of the motivation, of the strategy, of the Father? When God so loved the world and He sent His Son, what happened in that? When Jesus shows up on the planet, how is He viewing us? What is His vision? And if we're following him, I think it's really essential, maybe even elementary, if we know what Jesus' vision is, since we call ourselves Christ followers. So as we follow him, and, and we follow him, and we, we want to see what he's bringing us to, don't you? Have you ever had to trust somebody and go, where are you taking me? But you're kind of looking over their shoulder, or you're riding shotgun, and you're like, where are we going Today is a very basic thing to say, I'm going to tell you where Jesus is taking you. It's because it's where he went. Go to Luke 19.10, if you would. Or write it down, I'll read. Luke 19 has the story of Jesus reaching out to a little guy named Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus went to see Jesus, and there was a crowd, and he, he climbs up this tree to get a better view of Jesus, to examine him. That's a lot like the people I know, my neighbors, my, the people that teach my kids in school, the people who coach my kids in soccer and basketball, baseball, whatever sports, cross-country, all of these activities that we all are part of and all of life that we're a part of, people are trying to get a better view of what it means to, to follow Jesus and, and who is Jesus. And they're looking at you now because he's not here. And so as Zacchaeus went to get that view, Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house. We're rolling up to your house tonight for Dindin, Zacchaeus. And he says this, and Zacchaeus, this is eight, stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. See, he's experiencing transformation. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him this, Today's salvation's come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, here's Jesus' vision right here, okay? Luke 19, verse 10. If you're wondering what the vision of Jesus is, is, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I used to have a hard time with that word, lost. So Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. This is the vision. As Jesus plops on the planet, Jesus is here to seek and save the lost. How do you think lost people feel about being labeled lost? Oh, I'm lost. The Christians have found it. I'm lost. Ooh, I'm really scared. I know where I'm at. I know what my vision, I know what my motivation, I know what my strategy for life is. I'm not lost. Well, why does Jesus call people lost? I want to remind you of a really simple reminder. We need to be reminded that a piece of our vision, a huge piece of our vision, is Jesus' vision to seek and save lost. What does it mean to be a lost person? What does it mean to be labeled lost? Do you think... Little Chiron Horman cares about being labeled as lost. Do you think the people that are on milk carts saying lost child care about that? I saw Chiron's parents perform his birthday party without his presence there this week. One in Medford and one up here in Portland. If you're not familiar with Kyron Horman, he's a child that has friends in this community of Red Sea. Some of our kids go to school with Kyron, who came up missing earlier in the summer. And now these events are coming where it's time to go to school, and his mother's going, my son is not here, he's missing, he's lost. Have you looked at the eyeballs of a mother of a lost child? Can you even sense the pulse of her heart for her lost child as they celebrate his birthday, but he's not there? Is it important to the community? And what do the parents have to do all of the time? They have to trick out PR all of the time to keep their son at the top of people's mind that their child is lost. 
Jesus throughout the scriptures and throughout life with us is trying to get our attention to remind us that there's lost children of the Father that do not know where their family is. And while they may bluff it really well and say, I'm not lost, I don't need that family, that's not for us to get all into and and to try and control and move people. It's an invitation to the lost through the beauty and the winsomeness of who Christ Jesus is on his mission and the way that he was one in word and deed. And he showed us the completion of what it means to be reconciled back into the family. But I ask you again, Have you ever looked into the eyes of a mother or father who has a lost child? Do you care to? There are lost children of God, and our heart needs to have the same ambition to seek and save the lost as God's heart is in that ambition. God's plan is to use us to seek and save the lost. We've been given the mission that Christ had. Christ's vision is now parlayed on us. I want to ask you, have you sought out a lost person? When is the last time you talked to somebody and said, you know, Jesus has a vision for you to just know about how much he loves you? Are we ashamed of the gospel of love? of saying God has a place for you in this economy, in this mess? Can I figuratively hold your hand because I've been rescued and that doesn't mean I did anything on my own accord, not by my own power, but that God has a story and that he wants to use me to be in your life? Do you pray for lost people? Are you motivated to seek lost You know, a lot of churches, they do this in a backwards way. They go, we want more people here so we can have more money and more programs and more buildings. Do you know that that isn't the mission of this church is to feed a machine so we can get bigger and bigger and bigger? In fact, I would refuse that. We would send out a hundred at a time to go seek and save lost people. The top of our mind is that we need to go, why are we doing this? Why am I being discipled? Why am I growing as a person? So I can speak the language of a hurting person and somebody who's experienced healing. Do we care about the lost? Starting one person at a time, not asking everybody to be super crazy courageous and to stand up on a stage like Billy Graham and start touting it, but to live with our neighbors to go, I yearn for my neighbor to be found by the Father. And I want to be used that way. Mark this down. Mark 2, 16 through 17, God says that he's called to sinners, that when you see Jesus, a part of his vision is that he lives with those who are marginalized. Have you ever been marginalized by society? Have you ever been marginalized by Christians? Have you ever been marginalized and decreased and made to feel like you're less? Jesus says in Mark 2, that's where I go. 
I'm on a mission to go with not the healthy, but the unhealthy. I don't want to be with the people who go, well, there's nothing wrong with me. Jesus goes, I don't have time for that. I'm on mission, and I'm seeking to save the lost. I want to be with unhealthy people. And the truth is, there's an assertion already in this verse that says, we like to be with non-stinky people, people that we... They pass our test and we go, you're cool with me, I'll roll with you. But Jesus is saying, really, the vision that I have is to seek and save lost people. And you want to know the truth? Sometimes in their losing in life, sometimes they get labeled as losers. Or they're marginalized to the point where their voice doesn't matter. Or their pain doesn't matter. Or it's so messy, I don't want to get into the boat with those people. And here's the other deal. We forget that we are those people. The only difference is that we have Christ in us. So many times we go, you're separated from me, and it's an us and them mentality. The truth is, if you really believe that you're being used by God and the Holy Spirit sending you to go reach and save the lost, you'll realize that they're your brothers and sisters. How do you view people? By their sin or by the fact that they could be your brother or sister? It's a tragedy what's happening in the church today when we go, oh, those who read the Quran, I'm so against that. I hate you, and I will disrespect who you are. So my first act will not to be what 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's manifesto is, is to become like you. I won't even listen to you. In fact, I may not even know you, but I'm going to make a statement of truth about you. I'll take you back to that reminder that I said we need to continuously be reminded that a relationship is at stake here. Your relationship and you syncing up with what God has for your life and vision and motivation and what you spend your time dreaming about and consumed by, is it lining up with the will of God? Because It's not working to condemn people. It's not our place to judge them. Jesus has the seat, the throne of judgment. We can't say, oh yeah, I'll hang with you, but never bring the word of truth, the words of love. The romance of the father seeking his children. Oh yeah, I'll hang with you. I hang with Muslims. I hang with people who are outside God's will. Well, do you ever talk to them about the story that God's asking you to speak to them? And others are like, well, I tell everybody blah, 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 blah. Well, do your actions show love and that a relationship is at stake? This is the questions we have to ask ourselves. Want to know why I'm so hyped up this morning with you? Because... I'm excited about the opportunity to be changed myself. I want these, this word and God to change me. I'm not always comfortable speaking from up here to you. I'm with you, and God's constantly pulling my vision and my motivations. Why do we do what we do? I'm struck by the tragedy that at times I don't care about my neighbor because they annoy me, because their dogs are scary. They got four dogs that poop everywhere and bark all night, and I have a hard time with that, going, 
you're my sister, and you manage your dogs poorly, but I love you, and I want God to use my life and my motives to be changed into yours so much so that you would see that he loves you. Can you imagine the lack of effort and the lack of opportunities that God is giving and putting before us for us to be used to say the one word or to act the one way that somebody would go, I got it, I got it, I got it, I have been lost. And however they would translate that. It's kind of like those cops. You ever hear those stories where a cop would go into a house, but there was somebody who got kidnapped and was in the basement for nine years? Can you imagine ever being, and when you get to heaven, finding out that you were just walking around and there was lost people all among you and God was going, remember when I just wanted you to say that one thing? Do you remember when I wanted you just instead of spending that last 20 bucks on yourself that you would give that to somebody that was hurting or hungry? Or do you remember when your in-laws called and, and they were your biggest nightmare? Do you remember? Do you know that I wanted to speak through you either in word or deed just one more way so that somebody would know that I was beckoning them, that I was calling them? Do you want that kind of responsibility to go, no, God, I won't be used by you. I'm going to continue my vision and my motivation and my strategies. We don't want to be those people. The truth is, is we are. Today we come in here once again with selfishness. That's who we are. And you know what? Romans 8 talks about the huge struggle. Write that down. Read that this week. Romans 8 talks very much about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. We wake up every day with sin and selfishness and our vision. We go, how am I going to go about my life today? And how can I minimize the interactions of others, especially the interactions I don't want to have? Luke 15, 7. Check this one out. Luke 15, 7 says this. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God is saying, my heart is for the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the lost one. Part of my job duty, I'm not sure what yours is at your workplace or, or when you wake up to raise your family or to be in a relationship or when you go about your day. Part of the very clear opportunity I, I get to have is I get to tell people, hopefully in a non-cheesy, hopefully in a very authentic way, and hopefully very truthfully coming through my heart that God loves you. That's the opportunity God's saying. Do you see my lost ones? And are you jonesing to tell them how crazy God is for them? Do you love them? Or do you love yourself more? And God is asking in the most kind and direct way for us to die to our vision for us to die to our false motivations, for us to die to our strategies so that He can live through us so that others will see how loved they are. That sounds pretty basic. 
That sounds like we could wrap our intellectual heads around it. God's asking us to love lost people. And how incredibly profound and difficult that is. And it's even more difficult when we're not familiar with God's love language and what God says and how he commands our life and how he wants to change our life. We have blockage where the Holy Spirit's not flowing through us because our vision is in the way. The way we want something to turn out is in the wrong sense. And we have sacrificed relationship for the things that we want and the things we're motivated by and the way we've strategized our life. We really disregard people in our lives. And I would even say it starts here with the community. How often do you disregard what we're doing together? The orthopraxy. Well, I don't need to do that. I'm not going to do that part. I'm self-selective. I won't do a missional home committee or I'm not doing the gathering. I've thought through far too much. I know even though God's said some basic things to us. So if that's Jesus' vision to seek and save lost, what is his motivation? What should our day when we wake up and go, I want to have Jesus' vision. Put me in people's life that don't know the love yet. In word and deed, God, I want to go out and do that. What's the motivation? And the motivation for Jesus is John eight twenty nine. if you look at that. And I'll read that as well, if you just want to write that down. John eight twenty nine says this, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, and many believed in him. Jesus is saying, I want to live life pleasing the Father. I'm not doing anything under my own authority. See, we call that self-entitlement. I'm entitled to live life the way that I want to. Who's God is going to tell me? What pastor is going to preach a message that kinks me up and, and tells me that I'm doing something wrong? By whose authority? I'm living life this way. Well, who's checking you? When you look at Timothy and Titus, do you have elders? Do you have deacons? Do you have team leaders? Do you have brothers and sisters that have the authority of the Holy Spirit to speak something convicting to you? And does it have to be the Pope that speaks to you, or is the Holy Spirit enough? Can we allow those who, can you allow God to actually use an unbeliever, somebody who's supposedly lost, to say something that's deeply convicting to your life? Because that's where your results are. So if there's lacking fruit and somebody hasn't been told through you to the lost how much God loves them in the way that you live in word and deed, then we should start thinking that's the first place to look at conviction is nobody's listened to Jesus about me from me ever. When was the last time you said, I got to baptize this guy or this girl, and God just put me in this weird conversation with them, and then they believed? What is our motivation? This scripture says that Jesus' motivation to seek and save the lost was to please the Father. Can you imagine Kyron Horman's mother and father sitting on the side going, do you have any motivation to go seek and find my son? Can you imagine the father who's got all these missing children going, 
do you get my mission? Do you understand my love? Do you understand what Jesus did for you? Are you thankful for the salvation and the rescue job that took place for you and all of the efforts and all of the finances and all of the teaching that it took to maybe raise somebody else to start speaking to you and to give them the courage and to live that life? Will you go through that process of being trained to seek and save lost people? Are you willing to be in conversation with people so your character speaks as loudly as your words? Are you willing to go through the process process of living this biblical life and God's vision for you so that we can find more of our father's children? Can you imagine if people said really what their own agenda is to say, I don't really care about your kid. Can you imagine saying that to somebody's eyes and say, I don't care about your kid. I'm not a kid person. It's nice. I don't do Legos. I don't do science fairs. I don't do soccer clubs. I don't care about your kid. And the truth is, how many different ways do we discriminate against reaching one of God's kids because we go, oh, that's not the kind of music I listen to. Those aren't the movies I watch. What a dork. You watch like, you listen to pop music. That movie, oh, some action dude flick that just has no subtext and character development? You're joking me. The way you dress. You dress like in Target stuff. You eat, I've seen you eat McDonald's. I eat organic. What are you doing? In all of the different ways we go, don't really have to hang out with them. Note to self, I didn't like what they said. Note to self, you don't want to go in with me on the fence, neighbor? Okay. Note to self, never gave me gas money for blah, blah, blah. Cheapo. Note to self, doesn't wear enough deodorant. (laughs) Coffee breath. Nose too long. Weird recessive earlobes. God doesn't do that. God's people shouldn't do that. The you're not good enough to be with me or my community or my family or in relationship with me. The I don't have time for you anymore has to stop. And it won't stop unless we rely on the power of God because we don't have the power to to be nice people. Our motivation is to please the Father. We live a life that pleases Him, that stokes Him. (laughs) Nothing pleases me more than watching my kids please the real Father, not this Father. Nothing hurts me more than when my kids don't want to follow the Father. Let's follow Jesus into his vision. Let's be motivated to please our Father. 
in John 15.10, if you want to write this one down. Jesus, I'm not going to read it, but Jesus talks about an abiding love that He's so wrapped up into what the Father wants, that He so cares beyond Himself, that He's so in love with the Father that He finds out, and He is full of grace, full of truth, that there's an abiding love, that He's so motivated to please the Father, like grace and truth are coming through Him. He's, he, he's wor- living a life of worship through this kind of spirit. Last week I called it throughing. When is the last time God got so nutty that it just messed with your logic? That God started speaking through people and circumstances where God just uplifted and hijacked your vision just for a little bit to just tease you a little bit to go, here's what it feels like to just be enamored with the Father who loves you so much that the Son died for you and the Holy Spirit's moving through you. Here's what it means. Have you just kind of barely felt your toes sometimes in life because God's so jacking it up and so you're so abundant Abiding in this love, you're like, this is outrageous. This is like being on the best wave. I love to surf. At one point in my life, I surfed three times a day. I love to surf. I love to be with God surfing. God made those waves and knew that I would be stoked to ride them. And sometimes too many other guys out there too. Have you felt that? Have you been on your tippy toes going, I'm abiding in this love, and you are so graceful. I'm doing nothing. We'll just stick with the surfing. I get on a board. I'm not the power. I go from this side to over here. It's all grace. I did nothing to travel from here to there, but the power of the wave did. And when we abide in God's love, His power moves us down the shoreline and others watch and go, are you so stoked? That was a ridiculous ride. That's what it means to live indeed. And then think about the humility of this. It's not, yeah, aren't I a shredder? No, God gave you your body God made the ocean or whatever you're riding. And you don't have the right to say, I shred. Probably after that experience, you would say, God shreds. In word and deed, God gets it done. God is radical in my life. Let me ask you, do you hear Him today? Is He speaking to us? Will we respond to Him Or do we have the mindset to go, I can't be Christian. I can't do church that way. You're not listening. We're not listening. Every week, I don't want to come in here and be a sermonator. I don't want to come here and put the church on my back. I don't want to do that. That's my sin. My sin is to say, let's move this way and be on mission. My, my sin is trying to speak this into you. I'm asking you though, and God uses the Word to proclaim and it's supposed to fall on our hearts. Is God going to move you today? Will you leave through these doors? I don't care if you've been here three times or 30 times. Will you go underneath that exit sign different because of the Spirit of God and what God says? And the truth of what I'm saying today is not mine. I didn't sit at home and make this up. This is the Word of God for us to be on mission and to understand this vision. Here's the deal. 
There are lost children. God is saying, do you care about my lost children? And will you set aside your motivations to build your kingdom, your fame, and to live life the way you want to? Will you be pulled to live in my kingdom and live the way that I want you to? And then I'll empower that and I'll blow your mind. There's not a person in here who hasn't done probably every kind of dope there is. There isn't a person in here who hasn't had sex with 60 people. There's people in here who have lived the way of the world. There's not people in here who haven't owned the best cars. There isn't people in here who haven't done the best art. There isn't people in here who haven't traveled to the best places. This is a non-discriminating call from God to us to be his family. And nothing compares to it. When you compare notes with the people that are sitting next to you and go, wow, you really got to do that? That's outrageous. You got to climb that mountain and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but it doesn't compare to having God in my life. That's what is happening. So when we pull aside from somebody, they don't always have to be in pain. We may sit next to them and then go, my life is so outrageous. It's so rad. This is the most intimidating factor to a Christ follower. Wow, you don't need Jesus. You've got all these awesome things going on. This is the, the, the intimidation of the suburbs. You live in a gated community. Everything's clean. You don't have the crime we do in the inner city. I need Jesus to get me through all those things. It doesn't sound like you need Jesus. Everybody needs Christ. Okay, last point. Jesus' vision is for the lost, right? Jesus' motivation is to please God. And Jesus' strategy is this, to serve people, to to become them. Today's elementary Christianity 101, Jesus loves lost people and he hung with sinners. Sometimes the truth is, some Christians, they don't like to hear cussing. I'm not going to hang out with cussers. People will talk like that. People will do these things. Jesus did. His vision was for the lost. Okay, so time out, commercial break. Life with Jesus is messy. It's spent with messy people. It's a whole entire messy planet, yet he stepped off of his throne and came to be in the mess. He's asking you, will you hang with broken people? Or are you trying to use Christianity to just be the greatest happiness investment and you just keep getting dividends of happiness? That's a lie. God says there's going to be periods of persecution and suffering and your life's going to be jacked up. But guess what? I'm going to speak into it because we're in relationship and I'm going to guide you through that. And guess what? Some of us have totally jacked our life up and we know Jesus. Some of us have sinned so badly against God, we've, we're a walking flip-a-thon, flip-off-a-thon. We're like, forget you, God. I'm doing what I'm doing. How are you dealing with that now, huh? There's good news. Here's the good news. 
We talk about the word gospel a lot here. I want to remind you of what we're talking about when we say the gospel is good news. The gospel means that God will save you over and over again. So even if you know Jesus and you screwed off, he'll still rescue you, not begrudgingly, not like your buddy who gives you one more ride. Jesus is stoked to have you be a part of it. Here's the deal. The gospel means that God saved us from our sin, from our muck and our mire. Here it is. The gospel, the good news, is a person. This isn't we're following religion. What can I do and what can't I do? No, you're following a person. So check this out. When you're sitting next to somebody and they need love, you can literally say, why don't you pray about what love looks like? Because sometimes we have to go, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells you so, what's the other, blah, 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 and tell them everything that's right. If you're listening to a person and they go, I need to be loved, and if you said to them as the start of seeking to save the lost and you want to please God because that's your motivation, and if you were to look at them, here's your strategy. Bro, why don't you pray about love? Because here's what the Bible says, and here's what will happen. Jesus is love. God is love. Dude, you know, I'm just tired of all the lies that are going on in my life. Why don't you pray for truth? I can't control myself, dude. I'm a porn addict. Why don't you pray for purity? I'm greedy, but why don't you pray to be generous? And guess what? Those are all traits of who Jesus is as a person, not just in a yapathon, but the way that he lived his mission and he carried out the vision. So maybe you're here today going, I need more love. Then pray to the God of love. I need more clarity. Then pray to a sovereign God who has a perfectly clear plan. Whatever you need, God's got for you through Jesus Christ alone. Okay. Jesus' strategy is to serve people. I, want, I think it's really demonstrated really beautifully for us through the life of Paul. Write 1 Corinthians 9.19 down. Because in serving them, he became them. It's called incarnational ministry that Jesus showed us is to become like. And so God became not an appearance of humanity, not, hey, Jesus showed up and he had a man face on. I know Jesus is God, but, you know, he was dressed like a man. He was hanging with dudes. It was this vision I had. No, God came and became human through Jesus Christ. Not an appearance of humanity. He became humanity. This is one of my favorite things about God. God, being creative and being the greatest artist ever, got into his art, became the created. A lot of artists are so into themselves, they would like to live in the world that they painted. God came to seek and save the lost, and his motivation was so to glorify the Father that he became the art. He became humanity. Do you know that God loves you and he's pleased with humanity? Sometimes we go, it sucks being in the flesh. God wants to fulfill 
your life as a human. Okay. So I'll make this very practical. And we'll close this down. We're doing a thing on Saturday called Hub and Grub. We've started the Hub Community Center where we have a recording studio. We have artists over there. We have a piano studio that's been going forever. We've, uh, we've got the garden over there. We want to use everything to give it away. There's 50 businesses. The St. John's Business Boosters meet over there. And we, we want to give everything away. We've had poets and writers in here. We've had writers workshop. We've had concerts and theaters and show. The idea is that we want the vision to go, how does this place indeed, with what we do here at Red Sea, speak the word that God has for love and the vision for lost people? How do we connect with people who do not yet know Jesus? We do it through speaking their language. So we're going to have a barbecue because who doesn't like free food and music? So we're going to chill on Saturday. We're not going to be dorkaholic Christians. We're going to live life on the vision that Jesus never came and people went, dork. They may have said, hard teaching, don't like it, don't want to accept that. But Jesus was not a dork. He knew how to flow with people because he listened to people. And you know what Jesus did? His primary way to teach Asking questions. Who do you say I am? Jesus isn't trying to pimp himself and have a marketing thing to go, I'm I'm the Lord, Savior. You getting that? See how I'm rolling? No, he's saying, who are you? And who do you say I am? And do you sense my power? So our hub and grub will not be a -a pimpathon of Jesus. That's rule one. I think that's fair. Two... We get to know our neighbors. We don't have an agenda to shove what we know about God down people's throat. And you never have permission to do that. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't abuse. Love builds trust so it can handle truth. The story is about a person. So sometimes when we speak about Jesus, it shouldn't malign our, our, our attitude and the way we act shouldn't malign his character. And so here's what's happening. We're going to have a barbecue. We're going to invite our neighborhood to see what these buildings are here for. And here's what these buildings are here for. Them. So when we asked yesterday for people to show up and to clean this house up, for us to have an owner mentality... Do you want to know the strategy of serving people and becoming like them? It looks a lot like hospitality. We're immature in that. Hospitality means I'm thinking about the people that I want to invite in. Hospitality actually could be I'm thinking about the people that I'm sent to. See, there's two parts of church. There's a come-to-us structure, and there's a we-will-go-to-you structure. This is called attractional. Jesus is so beautiful, you should come and worship him. But we're Jesus' people, and some of you don't want to worship him yet, and so we're going to be scattered and sent to you to love you and to be beautiful before you and to serve you and to become like you. Okay. We want people to see who Christ is. We don't want to force them to see who he is. And so here it is. We are to live the vision of Jesus 
in the motivations to please the Father. The vision is to seek and save lost. And the strategy is to become like your friends and your neighbors. No, you don't compromise, and you're not a fakey fake. There's a chameleon piece to go. Paul says this, I became weak. I became law, bound by the law. I became Jewish. I became Gentile. I became these people. And so when you're with your friends, when you're listening and you're absorbing, it's called compassion. When you have compassion for where your friends are coming from, you become like them. Now, if I care about, I'm going to keep using this Quran thing this week. If, if I care about my Muslim friend and I become like him and go, hey, what's the Quran all about? Just a minute, I want to burn it. Or let me get it out of the burn pile so, we can, so I can see and respect you and to see what you believe. Now, if I become like him, I'll say, I want to become like you in your disposition of maybe where you lack and don't understand the life of who Jesus is. But it's a winsome point of view. We don't offend unnecessarily. The words of God will be an offense because it's going to hurt. It's going to affect people's sin. The gospel will offend them. We're not to go offending them. We're to become like them and say, I'm in the same boat as you. That's why we do hub and grub. That's why we're going to talk about some more ministries today. And that's why we're doing what we do. It's because we actually want to love God and love other people. Okay. So it's an invitation. We don't just invite people here and then say, we're going to, be, we're going to break it all up so you can have a little piece of it. That's not a new idea. This was broken up so you can all have a little piece of it. The Son of God was broken at the cross so you can have a little piece of massive forgiveness. His blood was shed and separated from Him and reached out as an extension of a blood offering to you so that it would appease the court case that we are all in. Have you ever had a court case on you? I had a warrant for my arrest. When that warrant went away, I was really stoked. When you find out that God has a beef with your sin and you find out that Jesus has paid the price to it and that you've been fully justified and set clean and you're no longer spiritually bankrupt, you're really stoked. You're so stoked you might even go tell somebody, watch out. But maybe you don't sense your bankruptcy. Maybe you don't take your, serious, your sin seriously. So each week, God invites us to this beautiful table where he crushed his son. The word is hilaros in Greek, and it means hilarious. God was laughing that his son was crushed. That sounds demented. Let's tell the whole story. He's stoked that his son was crushed at the cross, and he's giggling and laughing because Jesus did it on purpose, that his vision was correct and his motivation was correct and his strategy was right on, that he was seeking to save the lost for the Father, and that his motivations were to please the Father. And so when he died, God laughed because he knew he was coming back. And it was very painful separation. The relationship, remember? The relationship got lost. And Jesus is saying, why are you forsaking me? And Jesus knew why to reach the children Will you sacrifice, be generous beyond? And will you be broken and poured out like Jesus, not just so you can receive forgiveness, but would you get on mission with God and live an outrageous life following Jesus? 
That's the proposition every week. And the reason we put this bread and wine out is we need to be reminded over and over again, like Kyron's parents saying, my kids lost. Do you guys still care? It's not at the top of the news anymore. I get that. But do you still know that my kid is lost? God is asking us over and over through the scriptures, my kids are lost. Do you care? And is that top of your mind? Pray with me. Lord God, use us. Jack up our lives and move us out onto mission so we can care about our neighborhood even more. I've heard criticisms. People say, oh yeah, Red Sea, that's a neighborhood church. Yeah, that's right. We care about our neighbors and maybe we're not a mega church and we're not worldly successful, but we're trying to just love people. We wake up every day between flesh and spirit like Romans 8 says. And Jesus, you give us the proposition and Holy Spirit, you remind us and guarantee us that we're a part of much bigger proposition and plan. Bigger than our vision, bigger than our glory, and bigger than our kingdom is yours. So God, we thank you that you've allowed us to be in your kingdom. And where your presence is is where your kingdom's at. And when Jesus, you're alive in us and we're hidden in you and there's that abiding love and it just gets ridiculous, then new conversations happen and new life happens. And then new people are reborn into you. And then the family grows. And then you're stoked because your kids are reconciled to you. We want to be a part of that, God. Would you use us? And if you need to put us on our knees to show us how weak we are and when we need to repent of our sins and you forgive us, will you continue to live that romantic life with us where you dance with us in life, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit invites us into holy family? So God, we love you, we thank you, and we look forward to scattering and gathering in our life in this rhythm of love and knowing you. Thank you, God, for accepting and taking the, the worst thing that we bring to this table is our sin. We have nothing good to bring, but you lift us up and you make us yours and you adopt us into your family. We love you. We thank you for that. And we will praise you and we will give so that we can continue to be broken and to give away. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.